Hello, this is Jeff from the future. This episode was recorded in 2020 as part of an original attempt at a music review podcast. The original idea was to discuss new music as it was being released, but 2020 being what it was, brought quite a few album postponements and other complications. So this series continued through 2020 and into 2021. We are now here in 2022 at the time I am recording this. So what you are about to listen to is not the Sound Judgment podcast, but an early iteration. Also, being that it was recorded more than two years ago now, some of our thoughts and opinions may have changed, considering that we are, in fact, people who are continuously trying to learn and better ourselves. Enjoy the show. Okay, sorry, it was vital that I knew they were going to the gas station. <laughs> That's what I mean, like, it's it's like, it's... It's never, like, important. It's never like, hey, yeah. Chris, the house is on fire, or hey, Chris, the dog's yeah. having an aneurysm. It's like, hey, Chris, we're going to the store. Like, I don't care. I don't, I don't, I don't give a shit. Yeah, I got you. It's totally fine. Hi, I'm Chris. And I'm Jeff, and this is the New Music Challenge Podcast. Every week, we're going to challenge each other to listen to some new albums from this year. But not just any new releases. We're trying to take each other out of our comfort zones as much as we can. So whether you want to hear a metalhead discuss the newest pop release, or a pretentious wannabe blues musician review the hardest new metal album, this is the show for you. Let's go. Let's go. I'm ready. You're ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm really not. All right, Jeff. I just just finished saying I'm not prepared, but (laughs) let's go. You're ready. What are we talking about? We are talking about an album called Obsidian by the band Paradise Lost. Can I read the first sentence of my notes to you? Sure. It says all lowercase letters to I'm gonna I'm gonna read this the way I thought it. Yay! More religious imagery. Oh, I knew you weren't sick of it yet. <laughs> oh, oh, I am. Um, I mean, okay. So I, I, obviously that was the first. That's literally my first note here. So I'm gonna start off with my bias was already a little bit like I'm just a little burnt out on this. I think I think I need something a little new. Because this, uh, on at face value, this was not doing it for me. Okay. I'm reading these lyrics just going like, this isn't bad. Like, none of this is bad, but, oh god, can we please find somebody who sings about something other than, like, the monotheistic religions? Please. Yeah, I mean, I is can, there I can... Is there a metal band that really digs into something different? That being said, because of you yesterday, our completely unrelated uh, conversations, I did spend um, a lot of today listening to Striper, so I really have no room to talk. You may have done it to yourself a little bit. <laughs> I fully did that to myself, but as I think I've said to you before yesterday, like, let's face it, and if you've ever actually listened to Striper, they're not even a hair band, which I love. Like, they are straight up, they're a power metal band who happens to sing about Christian themes. And not even in the same way as, like, Paradise Lost here. They are straight up, like, almost worship music. But that's a whole other story. We'll listen to Striper some other time. I love Striper. Um, (laughs) So, do you want me to just, like, 
before getting into like individual songs or anything, you I just like general thoughts here. Do you have any, or do you want me to just go off on something here? Uh, I mean, you're welcome to go off. Um, the I will say I did I did make a note. This is another album full of religious symbolism. Um, yeah, because it is. It is. Um, but I also noted that I liked some of. We, okay, so you brought up like the wordplay on Sepultura about lost souls travel free, lost souls tra- tragedy. There's some good stuff, yeah. There's some good stuff on this one, I think. Um, I really liked on the opening track, uh, God Asks Not to Kill, God Asks Not to Kill, Godless Sworn to Kill, Godless Sworn to Kill. Yeah, there's, I mean, I could not, I was never going to bother writing down all the examples, but this album really is full of, there has to be a word for it, and I couldn't find what it is, because it's not, it's not a matter of the rhyming scheme, it's a matter of using words that sound similar, not in a rhyming way, but just like in a purely phonetic way. I know there's a word and for just that, like, I can't remember. There is a word for that, and I even searched for it, and I'm just like, I cannot find what this word is. But they're using words that are phonetically very similar, not necessarily rhyming. And just, you know, you'll have phrase one is, you know, A, B, C, D. Phrase two is A, E, C, D. Like, they're changing just a little bit, but kind of like it's a constant play on words. This album is full of that, which I'm just going to say straight up, like I said, I'm not going to write down all the examples. There's a lot of them here. It's actually really, really clever. Yeah, I, Not like, I really like, um, I think Nick Holmes is the main lyricist and also the vocalist. I, I really like his writing. Yeah, like we're not getting into like Mountain Goat's level of, I think, lyrical ability here. But there's some there's some fun stuff in here. Well, you might be surprised, um, um, not at all, to find out that this is one of John's favorite bands. That does not at all surprise me. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't know that. I always forget that he's really super into metal because he plays like... Uh, really not a hardcore like folk music. He made he made a post about how like this was a like a tweet about how this was like a good year for I, I forget exactly what he said, but it was a good year for like uh, uh, gothic doom metal because this and My Dying Bride came out um, the same year, and I was like, yeah, unfortunately, I didn't feel as strongly about the My Dying Bride album. I was gonna say, isn't that like that's what we listened to a few weeks ago, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't uh, super into that. Although, that was a perfect example of, after you explained things to me, I kind of can see that album in a totally different light. Well, this band and that um, band are, are contemporaries. They've both been around since 1990, and they both I, they both like put out the, their albums the same year, and these are two bands that sort of forged this kind of style. I was going to say, I, I thought that these guys were among the original of like the... Not doom metal, but like this gothic doom metal. I don't know what the specific genre is. We're we're getting too into genres here for me to. If you want to get honestly. like specific, it's it's death doom. It's death influenced doom metal, oh, and Jesus and it has Christ. a very okay. gothic. Well, I mean, you can hear the death and the death growls, and they have blast beats thrown in there and stuff. Yeah, like that. just uh, my God. Sometimes like trying to follow music genres when you're getting into like all these subgenres is just is just mind numbing. But whereas I think My Dying Bride are a little bit more consistent, these guys do have they have albums that sound a little bit more different than than the last one a lot of the times. And this is their sixteenth okay. this is their sixteenth album. Okay. Well, okay, so just a little bit 
for the record, just like for some context here, um, the genre doom metal, I, I think most people credit Black Sabbath for originating it. I mean, I know a lot of people say Black Sabbath were the first heavy metal band, which I think by most accounts they probably are at least one of the first heavy metal bands. Um, specifically when you're starting to dig into these subgenres, Black Sabbath is credited for originating doom metal. And what that really means, at least to me, the way I understand that label, is that it is... Um, I once heard someone refer to Black Sabbath's guitar riffs as emulating the factories of the working class that they worked in. It's heavy, it kind of hits you hard and then has to pull back, like, pull back. Like, it's it's machinery working. A lot of times I think of doom metal, I think of something that's, like, kind of groovy feeling. Not in the funk way, but in, like, a, there's a, there's almost a jazz influence like rhythm going on here again black sabbath has a phenomenal rhythm section between their their bass and drummer so when i think of doom metal i'm picturing more like the groovy riffs uh to take another band sleep for example you know they have that they have one song as as far as i'm concerned that's actually good and it's the one that i never remember what it's called dragon on a stupid name thank you i was gonna say it's not dragons it's what is it dragon on which has that really cool kind of like you can almost dance to it riff, but it just throws you off at the last second. It's really interesting. This album is... is... I don't know how to describe it. I literally wrote in my notes here, it's like more doomy doom. I don't know what to call this. All it's, I could think of... It's all slower, I could think of was it's much more atmospheric than... It's very some, atmospheric. Than a, than a faster type of metal. Uh, and, and it just kind of like... It, it, it kind of stays at a at a more methodical speed. It's it, atmospheric. I think is a is a great phrase for it. This well, is Paradise not something Lost. that I could Paradise Lost to. is is in general very um, atmospheric. I'm I'm just saying in this style of doom in in a more general sense is a little bit slower, more methodical in general. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's like I said. I, I, like I, said, I, I like the word atmospheric. I know I use that a, a lot to describe things that don't have such a uh, prominent pulse. Um, sorry, I now have what's his face from from Invader Zim singing the Doom song stuck in Grr. my head, and I don't even yeah that. Because <laughs> I, I refer to this as Doomy Doom. I'm just like, oh no, 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 don't do this to me. Now it's stuck. Um, so this is the perfect example of the kind of thing that I would love this in a live setting. Because this is just that wall of sound style music, which is really cool. On record, a lot of times I think music like this comes off as sterile. If I had seen Paradise Lost live and had heard some of these songs live first, I think I would like this album more. Again, not that I disliked this album. I really didn't. But this is definitely a, like, I want to see this live. I want to feel this music to really appreciate it. If it makes you feel any better, um, they yeah. were incredible when they opened for Devin Townsend. You know what? I am sure. And that is one of quite a few concerts that I missed for, I don't remember exactly what reason, but it was not super convenient, so I just kind of said screw it. I think um, that, that, well, that, was my, <laughs> that was my first Devin Townsend show, so I don't even know if you were interested oh, at that I'd, point. Oh, if it was... 
okay, no, if it was your first Devin Townsend, no, then I definitely didn't. I didn't even. I don't think I even knew who Devin Townsend was at that point. Um, other than like the guy who at one point had a skullet is kind of all I knew about. Well, him, yeah, I'm I mean, guessing. by then, like, I, I that was the show where I first like heard Kingdom, and that was the song that was like Jeff will like this. Yeah, that's and I was saying that's what got me into him in the first place, and then I realized like, oh, hey, wait a second, he's the guy who sang on that one Steve Vai album and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but what this album made me think of is speaking of seeing things live in concerts that you've taken me to. The first time I saw Ghost, which I believe was your second time seeing them, yeah, a band called Ides of Gemini opened, which I think has a similar feel to this, that like super atmospheric, very doomy doom. Because I saw them live, I love their recorded music. I have like a different appreciation for it. But if I listen to... The album that they were touring for at the time was called Constantinople. If I listened to just that album without being able to put myself back in the context of seeing them live, I do not like that album nearly as much. So, again, I have a lot of negative bias coming into this album. Not that it's the album's fault, it's just how I view this style of music. So what you're so, saying is I gotta get you to a Paradise Lost show. So what I'm, yeah, so what, you're, what I'm saying is I wanna see them live and then I want to revisit this album and be like, oh, okay, like, I, I get this. Like, I wanna, I wanna now listen to this more and I wanna see them again, probably. It's definitely a cool album. Like, I'm not gonna lie. It's a very interesting album. It is a very good album. And uh, Nick Holmes is also one of my favorite growlers in metal. I just love how thick and full his growls sound when he does them. And I also think he has really good clean vocals. He's kind of kind of a chameleon vocally sometimes not like yeah, Mike oh, Patton level but like he definitely has a way of making each song sound unique I I don't think many people are Mike, Mike Patton levels yeah. of of vocalists um, I mean Mike Patton very genuinely is probably one of the most diverse vocalists I've ever heard of did you so okay I'm, you're not you're not gonna get that I'm much. sidetracking again for a second but did you hear uh, the new Mr. Bungle cover I have not they did fuck the USA <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. So after uh, that, after that crooning us. Mike Patton album, uh, he did uh, hardcore vocals on a cover of "Fuck the USA." Yeah, that is a man who I mean, he he really can just I think do almost any vocal style you can think of, and he does it well. It's mm-hmm. it's insufferably frustrating how how ridiculously talented that man is. But uh, as another weird side note, do you know what band Nick Holmes is in on the side? No, I did no research or anything about these guys. Do you know the band Bloodbath? I know the name. He replaced Michael Ackerfeld from Opeth in Bloodbath. So if you need any uh, any clarification on how good of a vocalist is, he replaced Michael Ackerfeld from Opeth in Bloodbath. Oh! Okay, hold on. Real quick, I'm going to look them up because I know you've made me listen to them before. In fact, I want to say even have one of their one or two of their albums. Now. They are like a throwback death metal band. They do uh, very much in the style of death. Um, but Michael Ackerfeld from Opeth, I'm sure you're aware, is an incredible vocalist. Oh, he's absolutely phenomenal. He's a perfect example of I I I love him more than I love most of his music. Yeah. Um, sorry, there's a lot of those, but it's it's very true. And actually, so I just looked up Bloodbath on YouTube, and there is a. Uh, 
a live in 2005 performance video. They're just looking at the thumbnail. I'm like, oh yeah, I've I've definitely sat and watched this before. I know this. Yeah. So musically, I also think it has you know it has a fair amount of different stuff where it's never feeling inconsistent, but it's also not doing the same shit like a My Dying Bride album that came out yeah, this, this year is... did. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is more creative than that. At least, what was that album called? Some, the Ghost of Onions. Yeah, I mean, not literally. What was that? Ghost, was that? Of, okay. Ghost of yeah. Orion. Yeah, that one. The Ghost of Onions. Yeah. Um, sometimes I think you can hear that they were heavily influenced by Sister Sisters of Mercy on a few songs in this album, uh, especially on his vocal delivery on a couple songs like Ghosts. I don't think I know Sisters of Mercy well enough to have made that comparison. Like, they're one of those ones, I know they exist, I know you've made me listen to them, I certainly am not familiar enough to be like, oh yeah, I get that connection. Well, coming I, up to the release of this album, Nick Holmes uh, put, like, on Twitter his, uh, I, well, I think it was like a ultimate, well, not ultimate guitar, but whatever, one of those fucking metal rag websites, Metal Sucks or whatever, but yeah. he did, like, a countdown of his favorite, uh, top ten favorite Sisters of Mercy songs. Oh, coming okay. up to this because I think uh, they basically said there was some influence from them on this album, but I really like how Ghost brings up the tempo after the first two slower songs open the album, and, and I think they might get you in the mindset of "Oh God, here comes another slow album." But I think <laughs> I think uh, I that's, think Paradise Lost is pretty good at throwing you a few curves on this one. That's actually almost exactly what I wrote about Ghost was just like. I literally wrote, "Oh, thank God! This actually might be more interesting than I was than I was expecting." Because that, I mean, that song literally has like that kick drum pulse through most of the song. And it's just like, okay, this is this is gonna pick up. This is gonna keep going. Um, and for the most part, it, it it did at least continue to be interesting. Yeah, I think it's um, I think it's a very interesting album. I think that they're, it's, they're I good mean, writers. It, it does. It does slow down again. I do. It goes unless back I'm and totally forth, forgetting something. I want to say Ghosts was kind of my highlight of the album as far as like, okay, this is really like kind of kicking us off. This is doing a lot. This is, this has a more fun pulse to it. I know definitely the next track goes back to this super slow ambient. It, it starts off with like no, you know, all clean guitar sounds and everything. Uh, so I I, w I was a little worried that like oh no this is gonna be an album with only one good song on it like we're gonna we're gonna be boring here aren't we? But it's not true. It's fine. Yeah, because the best song happens next, which is Forsaken. I okay, all right. I don't know if I'm gonna completely agree with that, but it's definitely up there. I really like the vocal melody in the chorus, and I don't care how how overdone it is. I really like some well placed wheedling as long as you don't go Zach Wild with it. <laughs> this is like the guitar um, version of Hogwild. Here, give me this second. I'm actually gonna, I'm gonna hunt down the chorus here. I want to hear that again real quick. Yeah, 
this is this is another perfect example of like this is like this is a chant like this is asking for a live audience. It's another um, one with which, wordplay. Reverence, you're taken. We're all forsaken. Reverence, yes. mistaken. We're all forsaken. You know, I wrote those lyrics under the wrong song because I'm an idiot. <laughs> Great, I had those written under uh, ending days for some reason. Whoops. Um, it's totally fine. No, that this is this is another one just like that. You honestly can't. You can barely even call that a melody. It is literally just like a chant, which again, on a studio album, is totally fine. I guess, and I guess there's a lot of people who are who are totally into this. For me personally, this is a like, I need this live. I need to be part of an audience, part of this music. Um, but that's like that's that, that was kind of my biggest thing. This whole album is I'm just like I want to hear this live. Like I, I this isn't bad. But this is the kind of thing that I want to hear this live. Yeah, I mean, I want wanting to hear recording. this live, wanting to hear this live is far from an insult. No, but it's definitely just like a, this is not an album I'm going to come back and listen to much. Now, if they record a live album and some of these songs are on it, those are the recordings I'm going to keep listening to. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, otherwise, a lot of I, I, my other and I don't know, I can't really decide what my highlight is, whether it was Ghosts or the last track. Which, correct me if I'm wrong, is this word defiler? What is this? <laughs> Am I an idiot? Oh, defiler. Okay, yeah. Is that so, what is that what this word is? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's one of the two bonus tracks. Oh, I didn't realize I was listening to like a deluxe version. Yeah, here. there's a deluxe edition with two bonus tracks, and I, oh. I'm, I'm not huh. gonna lie, the two, the last two bonus tracks, I think, are like two of the weaker ones, and I think they kind of just kind of pat it, but. Um, I think they're one of the places it drags, but other than that, yeah, yeah, it's called Defiler. The actual album, oh, I, the actual like standard edition ends with Raven Gast. Oh, that's funny because Defiler actually, like I said, this I, I wrote this actually. I can't decide. This actually might be my favorite song on the album, oh, and good. it also has it also has. I know as you just sit here and criticize it, like yeah, it's kind of one of the weaker tracks no, on the I album. Mean, here's the thing: and once like, again, for me, for me, something being a weaker track isn't necessarily that doesn't mean it's bad. No, but this has definitely happened before where you go like, yeah, this isn't my favorite track on the album. It's one of the weaker ones. And here I'm sitting here going like, oh, I really liked that one. I've gone back and listened to that. <laughs> um, this is another one where he does that that really cool thing with the lyrics. This is another one of the ones that I did actually write down. I love this. Like a child in arms we dwell, you can turn the tides... Well, you can turn the tide of dreams we've held. Like a child in arms we dwell... Who controls the mind that drifts to hell? It's it's such another like we are getting a little more into the rhyme schemey thing here, but mm-hmm. I don't know. There's I, there has to be a word for this style of of writing, and it's just I think it's just really cool. I think it's really creative. Yeah, I I, I think he's I think he's a very good writer. I yeah I can totally I, get that. I do like I do like that it's gothic, and that it's it's depressing but it also doesn't rely on the self-pity side of depressing themes. Yes. I mean like I said there was a, there was a, a good bit of religious imagery which I'm not going to get into. I feel like I have dug into uh Christian-based themes enough on this podcast over the past hand we've this is only episode 9. I've done this enough lately. I'm going to give that a break. There's a lot of that which I'm just currently burnt out on. Right. Um not that it's bad. I'm, I, I don't want anyone to get the wrong idea. I'm not criticizing people if that's what you write about. That's not what I typically listen to. It's really not super interesting to me for whatever reason. I think just like 
making biblical references unless you're doing it in a really creative way, it's just not it's just not for me. Right. Um There's a lot of that, so I don't have a whole lot to say. It's cool, it's well written. At no point listening to this album did I cringe at how bad the lyrics are. So thank God we passed that at least. No. There I were mean, no vaginal coffin ships or whatever the <laughs> fuck that line. I'm still mad about that. <laughs> who was that? I don't remember who that was. That was, was midnight. That, was that midnight? That oh was my midnight. God. <laughs> Why? No, I think I mean Nick Holmes I think keeps things uh fairly poetic, I think. He's good. Yeah, I approve. I approve and I want to see them live. Good. That will then I'm gonna give it um eight cancelled coronavirus concerts out of ten. <laughs> eight I yeah, was suppo- eight I was supposed to see Bloodbath this year's out of ten. Oh, were you really? Yeah, they were supposed to be at MDF. Oh, uh, I was just going to say, were they supposed to be at MDF? Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. Yeah, I I want to see this live. That's what I want. Oh, God. Or I at least want a live album. I would... Uh, well, they're, they're pretty good with live albums. They actually have... Um, okay, so the other Paradise Lost album that I've, I know I've sent you, I don't know if you remember it, is called I'm Dra- sure I don't. Draconian Times. Oh, I remember the name. And it's the one that opens with... The opening track is like, Lack of fever, fever. And on that one, he does like a weird James Hetfield thing throughout. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but he. Oh, I'm looking at it. I remember the album cover of this one, too, actually. But he put out. They put out a live album of just them doing that album in its entirety where he uses a more gothic vocal style, and it's really cool. Oh, really? Yeah. What is the name of that album called? I mean, I think it's. I think it's just called, like. Uh, Draconian Times Dra- Live. Yeah, yeah, something. And then I think it has like, yeah, Draconian Times MMXI, whichever Roman numeral that is. Okay. Is that 31? Uh, what is MMXI? Put down in the comments what MMXI means. 2000. No, it's, it's, it's the fucking say, year it came out. I was gonna say, it's the fucking was, year it came out. It's 2011. I was just gonna, I was just gonna say, isn't isn't M thousand or was M hundred? I was trying to think like, is M hundred? Does that mean two thousand nine? I was thinking. Oh wait, is it? I was thinking, is it like an anniversary, like thirtieth anniversary or something? Because I know oh. X is ten, but yeah, no, it's 2011. It's the year they put it out. I'm a dumbass. I I I I I Um yeah, but like I I couldn't think I was I was sitting here thinking like is M hundred like M's not is M hundred is M like I I was I was for some reason in my head I also was picturing it as M M I X and I'm just like two hundred nine what does that mean M mix I'm I'm not smart it's fine yeah M mix. I'm good with Roman numerals up until, like, we go beyond X and then I'm fucked. Shit. I mean, well, then you just have the X and you keep adding. They no, lose I mean, me no, once no, no. you get to M. <laughs> no, no, yeah, I mean, no, like, X, two X's, like, I get that, but once we go beyond, like, X, I don't really know. Oh. Oh, okay. Like, X, I, and V you're solid with when you're yeah. adding other of, like, the numerals themselves. Okay, I Yeah, I yeah, it. yeah. I get it. I but, took a course. I took a course in college that was literally just doing math based in other number systems. So we had a whole section just on doing basic math in Roman numerals. Oh god! And like, and we're talking like we're talking addition, subtraction, division, multiplication, but just written in Roman numerals. Unfortunately, I can never remember what most of the letters mean anymore. 
I mean, this was also in 2008. So I would have to convert them to, like, numerals and then convert them back. Well, I think that's kind of what the class wanted you to do. It was just sort of forcing you to, like, oh, hey, other things exist, don't forget. Yeah, Roman numerals, we really use that for anything other than albums. I mean, I know. I think the best part of this course was when we were doing, like, base 12 systems. So it would be, like, instead of just using 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9... It would be zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, A, B. Oh. So like B meant twelve. So your math problem would be like B plus five plus A multiplied by six. Like what? what? Why are we doing this? Roman numerals are for Final Fantasies and goth metal albums. <laughs> okay. That's my that's my final verdict. I'm, I'm gonna be honest. Like that's. In Final Fantasy games, I think, is when I personally come across Roman numerals. That and, like, really cool-looking clocks. I'm gonna give this a V-I-I-I out of X. I hate... I hate this. You know who else put out a really uplifting, happy album this year? <laughs> Do you mean the other album that we listened to? Yeah. Do you mean the album that is literally called Unhappy Hour at the Loners Club? By Puddle's Pity Party, of course. <laughs> you killed my love But through it all I never cried When you said you weren't satisfied With an asshole like me You killed my love Yeah, this was a... Let me tell you, this this definitely got me in, this got me in the holiday spirit, which is why I'm wearing a Christmas shirt right now. Um, no, for the most okay. part, we're here to discuss the full length "Unhappy Hour" at the Loner's Lounge, but we're also going to discuss the si string of singles that Puddles has put out since the beginning of 2020, which include, yeah, "If I Can Dream," "I Want to Know What Love Is," "Still Loving You," "Last Nights in White Satin," "Holy Diver," "One More Light," and "Bridge Over Troubled Water." Before before we dig into this. Can I bring up kind of a quick, not really quick, a tangent, which is literally all of my thoughts on Puddle's Pity Party, actually. I want to put out, I want to put out a one-sentence tangent. Go for it. We haven't talked enough about Sad Clowns as of late. <laughs> I mean, didn't we literally talk about Sad Clowns last episode? Yeah, that's why I said that. Okay, good. I'm just making sure that was last episode and not, like, weeks ago, because I have no concept of time. Well, this is the third um, time we've talked about Sad Clowns, I believe. Yeah, we fine. really don't talk about Sad Clowns enough. So, speaking of Sad Clowns, I... I'm gonna give, like, this this back statement to anyone listening and just kind of to clarify some things with you as well. I think you already know my overall thoughts on Puddle's Pity Party, which comes down to, I don't like them. Yeah. So... First my first off, sentence. Puddle. My first sentence is: I know you have a history of strong feelings about puddles. <laughs> my, se right. my second sentence is: Thank God for for uh, sad clowns and religious imagery because that's what this podcast is now. <laughs> Welcome back to the sad clowns talking about God podcast. Um, no. So first off, puddles pity party. It is a man named Mike. I think he pronounces it Geyer. It's G E I E R. I'm assuming that's pronounced Geyer. Who is a six foot eight inch tall singer who mostly does like cabaret music, um, dressed as a sad clown. That's kind of his shtick. That's his gimmick. We are going to refer to him as Puddles. The man's name is Mike 
Dyer, and he is genuinely a talented individual. I'm not actually criticizing him. Yeah, no, he has I an want, incredible voice. He is very good at well, what he does. Well, I want to talk about gimmicks. So give me just a second here. Let me go on a quick rant here, and then I'll, then I'll ask for your, 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 your other thoughts here. But So I, I want to branch out of music for just a second to talk about gimmicks. I do not necessarily hate gimmicks. And in a lot of cases, having a gimmick is what gets you noticed. Um, in a world that I know very, very little about, stand-up comedy, most of these people who I do know, I know them because of the gimmicks that made them famous. Andrew Dice Clay did his raunchy versions of nursery rhyme thing. Obviously, if you went to go see him do a stand-up routine, it was not just an hour and a half of raunchy nursery rhymes, but that's what he became known for. Bill Engvall did his here's your sign bit where he said, you know, stupid people should have to carry a sign. Then he'd given a little a little explanation and then say here's your sign. The punchline was here's your sign. You know, 11 year old me or however old I was, that's all I knew Bill Engvall for and I thought it was hilarious. I then bought a couple of his CDs, realized that only one track was the Here's Your Sign stuff, and I actually loved a lot of it. He's a pretty funny guy if you're into his style of humor. Jeff Foxworthy has his You Might Be a Redneck bit. Like, gimmicks are not necessarily bad if you can branch out of it and be good at what you do otherwise. Another example to start bringing us into music is Buckethead, who is a primarily instrumental virtuoso guitar player who does like instrumental rock music on stage he wears a KFC chicken bucket on his head and a plain white face mask he tends to play with nunchucks on stage and does robot dancing for some reason he doesn't speak that is a gimmick but you can listen to his albums and have no idea that that's what he does live and still just appreciate the music for what it is if you are into that style of music, the man is genuinely incredible. Puddles is a six foot eight man dressed as a sad clown who sings, for the most part, stripped down or cabaret and slowed down sad versions of popular songs. He is a fine vocalist. I would say he's a really good vocalist. He is also a dime-a-dozen vocalist. You could go to any music school in the world and find other baritone singers who could do this exact same bit. So what makes Puddles stand out is the fact that he's six foot eight, dresses like a sad clown, and acts in character. So to me, when you get these people who are good singers, but maybe not necessarily like breathtaking, they're not, they're not blowing anyone away entirely based on their voice. Michael Buble is another example for being like a, an adult contemporary, like swing style singer. Michael Buble is a dime a dozen singer. What I like about Michael Buble are the arrangements of the music. So it's not even necessarily just Michael Buble, you like all the people around him. So my question to myself always is when I watch videos or listen to recordings of Puddles, do I like the arrangement enough to get past the gimmick? Is he more than his gimmick? And this album is the first time I am saying yes to that. That is my soapbox, Chris. You're allowed to talk now. 
That was a pretty good soapbox. I took a nap. <laughs> I will not apologize. I made you listen to that because I have a lot of thoughts here. Um, wow, okay. So, uh... I also wrote notes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> I also wrote notes. I did not write a manifesto, but I have some notes. <laughs> No, I did not write a manifesto, but you know what? That's fine. Um, I was really surprised when you challenged this to me. And as you saw, my response was, what? Oh, fuck? Or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. your response was not happy, and I said, like, just just deal with it. Like, I've, I think I even said, listen to this and, and try to forget who it is. And, and okay, um, again, we, we talked about, you, you've talked about gimmicks <laughs> a little bit for a moment. Um, for for a moment, for a moment, I don't think gimmicks bother me quite as much as as they do you, as long as it's backed up with something. Um, I don't think you necessarily need to evolve out of a gimmick. I mean, I enjoy Ninja Sex Party. They don't seem to, aside from the cover albums, be evolving out of the gimmick that like it's Danny's bad with women and also a ninja or whatever. Um, fine, b- because they back it up with good music that I enjoy. Yes, they they uh, are they are more than their gimmick. How, how many bands do I listen to that will never, ever stop being Vikings or whatever, you know? So, it, the gimmick doesn't bother me as long as you back it up with instrumentation or something, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Or even, that's... Or, or even if it's just, if it's, you know, a comedy band that consistently makes me chuckle when I listen to the music, that's fine. Yeah. Um, but, I was not thrilled because there's something that's even less inspired to me about a gimmick cover project. Um, again, I give credit where he's due. He has a good, uh, he has a good voice for certain things. Um, but his song selections never blew me away. Uh, especially when he was doing contemporary pop songs. And then mm-hmm. on top of that, on top of that, it's a clown gimmick and no one likes a clown except clown Presley. And on top of that, it's a, it's a cover project, which how many of those, like that's also dime a dozen. Yeah. Th- which, which, I think goes by why I have such a long history of really not understanding the fascination with this. Mm-hmm. It is so many things that are being done a million times over. Oh yay, you did a stripped down version of a pop song, as if there aren't millions of fucking people on YouTube with their ukuleles doing this. Like, congratulations, now, you did it. Now the idea of making him <clears throat> like a sad clown and doing sad songs only, that's not too bad, but again, it's it's a gimmick that for me, um, I think unless you are consistently doing something interesting and unique, runs dry a little bit after a while. I also never understood, like, if all of his songs were sad songs, and they all sounded sad, it's like, alright, at least you're really sticking with your gimmick. He's done, I mean, the, the, one of the ones that, like, really always bothered me, because because I'm so torn on it, is the version he did of Lord's song Royals. Royals, which he yeah. Did with, um, which he did with uh, Postmodern Jukebox. Right. It's a really cool arrangement. I actually really like his voice on it. And to me, suddenly, it's like, okay, you're now changing the rules of what you are. Your sad clown gimmick seems totally out of place. What What are you? Yeah, and it, like, what are you doing? Because that's actually a great recording. I love that. I love that recording of that song. Or like, I, why would why I want to hear him? Why would I want to hear him do "Wrecking Ball"? Is another one that I didn't really get. 
Well, I mean, I think the vast majority of what he's done, that's entirely how I feel, is like, what? why are you a sad clown during this? Right. What is the relevance of your sad clownness? But whatever. I mean, again, like, if someone else is into this gimmick, like, that's totally fine. Like, I guess go for it. I know people who love this man. I know people who have seen him live. Cool. I just don't get it. I don't understand the point of the whole sad clown shtick. This album, however, what separated this album for me, first off, is I don't have to look at him. I can listen to this without watching the videos on YouTube, which is where I think most of his fame comes from. Then he was on The X Factor, I think? He was on The so X again, Factor like, a couple times. I actually watched a, a handful of his uh, oh, X Factor videos to kind of well, like see how people were reacting to him. They love him. They fucking love that well, Yeah. Well, I mean, again, because he is good, and it is kind of a cool thing, and I do like, like I said at the beginning, I do like gimmicks as a thing to get you noticed, and I do like gimmicks like, like, I want, you know, if I were to ever go see Andrew Dice Clay, even though his shtick is 35 years old, I want to hear some of his really dumb nursery rhymes. Because that is just a thing that, like, oh, this is a thing I know him for. Um, what separated this album for me is, first off, these are not modern pop songs done arbitrarily in, like, a cabaret style. These are old jazz standards and traditional pop songs. They are also all melancholy songs in the first place. Like, yeah. I would go see this performance. I would mm -hmm. love to go see this performance. And this is another example of how I said, you know, is the music good enough to... Like, is it just a gimmick, or is this actually enjoyable? And I actually genuinely love some of these recordings. Yeah, hearing him do I Left My Heart in San Francisco is a lot more appealing than hearing him do Royals. Reworking X-Song style, X and Y-Style is, like, just another gimmick to me. But yes. this, doing, the, is in, doing these songs in something resembling their original style... Um, it's just more appealing. It's not... There's not so many layers of this gimmick... Yeah, exactly, and so none of these are going to be like my definitive versions of the recordings. Um, in the wee small hours of the morning, I'm sorry for the 30 million other people who have recorded this. To me, this is a Frank Sinatra song. This will probably always be a Frank Sinatra song. Now, again, going back to it's Jeff, that's not a that pretty smoke people... and take. That's Why? a pretty hot smoke and take there. Why? I don't, I'm being sarcastic. I, think I was going to say, I, I don't think that's a hot take, actually. I mean, I know there are people who will argue we with that. But, again, this is a matter of, like, it's not actually Frank Sinatra who made that recording to right. me. It's all of the arrangers who worked on it. Yeah. Um, in that specific case, I actually forget who the arranger was on his version of it. Um, this version by Puddle's Pity Party of Lush Life is phenomenal. It's not as good as the Johnny Hartman, John Coltrane recording, which in my opinion is like the definitive version of that song. But this is a really great version. I've listened to this recording many times over the past couple weeks. Can I, can I side tangent real quick? Yeah, go for it. Because you're the Sinatra guy here. Yeah. Didn't, maybe not necessarily in the wee small hours, but didn't Sinatra do his own arrangements? No, but he was, well, not necessarily, and it's kind of debatable over what kind of control he had. Um, and that's one of those ones that, like, you get varying accounts. Sinatra okay. could not read music, but right. the man was very musically inclined. And most right. of his arrangers, who he worked very, very prominently with, have made statements saying, you know, 
oh yeah, I'd give him an arrangement of a song and he would correct me. I was and gonna meanwhile, say, these are people, these are people, I mean, this is like, you, you, Nelson Riddle was like one of the people who would work with Frank Sinatra. Like, you don't correct Nelson Riddle. Right. Because I, I, yeah. I read somewhere he couldn't read music, but he, maybe it was he worked on his own arrangements or something like that. Yes. Because, because I heard he was a perfectionist and, and would yes. not allow Almost. people, if he, if, if anyone fucked up, he started the recording over, like, immediately. Yeah, he um was uh, infamous for he. I mean, he was a perfectionist through and through. I think by most accounts, um, to the point of being almost insufferable to work with. I think he's one of the ones that if you know if he weren't Frank Sinatra, like he, no one would want to work with him. But because right. he already had the name for himself, he got the name for himself because of the kind of perfectionist he was, and he demanded it from everybody he worked with. Right. If you look at the, excuse me. If you look at like the lineups of the bands that he would perform with, you'll see a handful of the same names for years and years, and it's because these are the people who do things the way Frank wanted. Right. Okay. You know, and they did it correctly. So, so again, this is all kind of hearsay. Um, I have seen and read stories of people discrediting some of these. But this is kind of one of those, like, okay, are we discrediting Frank Sinatra because you want to be an edgelord? Or are you discrediting Frank Sinatra because you actually know what you're talking about? When I've read quite a few statements from arrangers and composers and other people he's worked with talking about how much of a perfectionist he was, corrections he made to the arrangements, like, I'm going to believe the majority of these people. Mm -hmm. Because why, why wouldn't I? That's what I, I have. I obviously was not there. Right. Frank Sinatra was dead for quite a few years by the time I started listening to him. Okay. So, oh, I wasn't around. Um, Just asking. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't yeah. sure about that one. So it's, but it's a, it's another one of like, you know, you, I, I love Frank Sinatra, but it's not just because of Frank Sinatra. There are, saying I'm a Frank Sinatra fan is saying I am a fan of all of these people who were involved in his recording career. Because it's, you know, one of my favorite Frank Sinatra albums is actually a live in Paris with a sextet. So it's only it is, is that Frank legal? Sinatra. <sighs> really? <laughs> it is only Frank Sinatra with a small group of musicians. And so you can hear every one of these musicians, and they are all phenomenal. And even though Frank's performance is not actually flawless, he kind of pokes fun at himself, he makes some mistakes, his voice cracks a couple times. It's the whole package that makes this recording so incredible. Okay. And that is kind of where I'm falling on this on this unhappy hour at the Loners Club. Even though no one on this album really shines through, there's not really, like, spaces for solo work, it is such a cohesive group. It is such a cohesive, like, entire package of songs that make sense in this style because they are songs that were written to be in this style. Yeah, I mean, I really like his voice. I, I like the selections. I like most of the performances. Um, I think he probably could have had a few less for his baby and a few less for the road. It's not safe to have that many than drive. <laughs> Make it one for my baby, one more for the road. Make it one for my baby, one more for the road. Make it one for my baby, one more for the road. Make it 
baby. One more for the road. I mean, I can't really criticize the lyrics here because they're decades old. Does the original one repeat that many times? I that I actually genuinely can't remember. It's kind of it, it's one of those ones that depends on I'm what recording singer, you're listening sure. to. Like every one of these songs, you can find thirty million recordings. Yeah, of. yeah. I actually don't remember him repeating it in unnecessary amount of times, but that's also not like one of my favorite songs off of this album, just because I don't think it was super interesting or original. But I'm now curious. I'm gonna have to look at that sometime. Because maybe he does say it way too many times. I don't know. He, he just had a few too many for, for the road, I think. Um, but yeah, I actually... I I enjoyed this album and not in like a YouTube viral video way. Yeah, like I mean... Like it was actually this, pretty enjoyable. If if his whole gimmick is... If his whole shtick was doing this, doing these already sad songs, and, he, and if he was doing primarily, you know, older, traditional pop, Great American Songbook-style songs, I think I'd actually really like him, because then suddenly he's only doing one gimmicky thing, which is the whole sad clown costume. Everything else just falls into place. It's when you take the gimmick of the sad clown costume and the gimmick of these stupid arrangements of modern pop songs that don't really make any sense. That's when you're you're adding too many gimmicks, and suddenly I'm going, why? What are you... What is this? Right. Speaking of which... Do you want to get into the other the other songs that came out this year? Um, yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, I hated Holy Diver. <laughs> I I, I, I knew like you were gonna cover. start with it. I did I not like his cover of Holy Diver. Um, well, I thought I'd start low. That was my least favorite. Um, oh, because okay. I think that's I think that's a because I mean obviously I love the Dio version, but. When you're outshined by Pat Boone on your what? cover of... Pat Boone covered Holy Diver. Why did I... Did I know this? Dio did backing vocals on Pat Boone's cover of Holy Diver. <laughs> um, I, I was unaware this was a thing. I mean, if I was aware, I had forgotten. And uh, pardon me while I pull this up because... Yeah, please do. First off, do you know that, that this is another song about religious symbolism? I did know that, but that's actually one of my notes here, is that listening to Puddles sing it, he enunciates well enough that I realize how nonsensical the lyrics really seem. And I know I've read the lyrics before, and I'm every time I read it, I'm just like, I, I don't, like, I haven't done the research to understand the lines in this song half the time. While you're, okay, while you're listening to Pat Boone, um, while you're oh, realizing- I wasn't. While you well, no, you can listen to the Pat Boone for a version version for a minute. While you're doing it, I want you to realize that this is about Jesus Christ about to sacrifice himself, and the people don't want him to. That's, Seriously, that is that is basically what this song is about. Oh God, I already hate, and he hasn't even started singing. Hearing the brass section go, bum 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 ba da dum ba da dum. Oh, this is bad. All right, wait, just wait go. for it. And for the record, this is from In a Metal Mood, where he also, I think, calibers Alice Cooper. Um, great. Also, can you hear Dio on backing vocals? This is so weird. Listen to when he goes, ride the tiger. And Dio's in the background. Okay. Oh, this is so weird. Isn't it? Okay, I'm, I'm done with this. <laughs> I, I, I can't. I can't with this. Uh, 
Look, man, I mean, Pat Boone, you know what, man? You might be a really nice guy. I don't know. All I know is that he has sung multiple songs that he probably has no idea what he was singing. Like, he did a cover of Tutti Frutti, like the Little Richard song. Yeah. Which, like, I don't know if you know, like, Little Richard's, like, early career, but he used to, like, dress in drag Mm -hmm. on stage, and he would, like, call himself the Queen, and he would be in, like, high heels, and the original lyrics of Tutti Frutti were Tutti Frutti, good booty. So, like, you know, like, if Pat Boone wants to sing songs that he probably disagrees with, like, you know what, man, that's totally fine. Whatever, Pat Boone, it's fine. This is awful. This does not need to exist. <laughs> so you don't think, uh, you don't think Pat Boone outperformed Puddles? Uh, n- n- no. <laughs> no, I do not. Um, I mean, not that I loved this recording of Holy Diver by Puddles, like, it's totally fine. It just is a perfect example of Sometimes when you hear, I know I said this about uh, Dan Avid and the Super Guitar Brothers, like hearing these words sung by someone who sings them much more clearly, it's just like, oh wow, I'm actually paying attention to the lyrics again, and I, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, but interesting. I was unaware of what that song really was like saying. I'll give you, I'll give you Dio's exact. Uh, the lyrics are about a Christ figure from another. It's on another planet who sacrifices himself to redeem his people. And when the people learn that he intends to leave them the, uh, to save people on other planets, they selfishly ask him to stay. So there you go. Great, <clears throat> interesting. Yeah, interesting. Um. Um. Okay. <laughs> Great. Bridge over troubled water. Uh, we needed another cover of that. We're always out for more Simon and Garfunkel covers. Um. Especially if it's, uh, you know, um, fuck, what's the one you love? Do you mean Scarborough Fair? Scarborough Fair, Fair, yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean... another cover of Scarborough Fair? We we don't. We Um, don't. And we did not need another cover of Bridge Over Troubled Water. And we need another cover of Bridge Over Troubled Water, and we need another cover of, uh, Sound of Silence. I don't actually know that many covers of Sound of Silence... Well, Disturb put one out if you hadn't heard. No, I'm well aware, and it's genuinely phenomenal. It's pretty good, actually. It is. I just, it um, is everything the original recording wasn't, so it's totally fine. Good? Um, I love it. Oh, I love it. No, and the original isn't good. The original's fine. The original's kind of boring. Um, that's a great word whatever. for it. That's a totally... You know what? I mean, quite frankly, that's actually my feelings on... A good amount of Simon and Garfunkel music is just like this will be. This is a great song for someone else to cover. Like you're you're taking Bob Dylan's job away from him. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> um, so but real quick, Bridge Over Troubled Water. This song, first off, kind of always not that the song makes me laugh, but I always laugh because I grew up genuinely thinking this was like a hymn from like the 1600s or 1700s. I was, like, 12 or 13 when I found out that it was only from 1970, and it was written by, like, artists I've heard of. (laughs) Because I only heard this song in, like, gospel settings. So I had no idea. I seriously thought this song was, like, hundreds of years old, and it was a hymn, and I just, I, whatever. I'm dumb. It's fine. So, real quick. I think I've said this before. I do not think any song is untouchable. Any song can be covered, and quite frankly, I think any song can be covered and probably made better than the original. The original is never specifically better just because of the original. That's not how things work. If you believe that, you're you're plainly an idiot. Um, But this is a song 
that I, I really love the original recording of, and I have a hard time... I have a hard time listening to covers of it and going, oh yeah, this is this is really great, because it is compared to something that I really do love. I think the original recording of 433 by John Cage is the best. I don't, I don't think believe... anyone's ever gonna top it. I, I don't believe he ever made a recording of it. He just wrote it. You're fine. I, I don't... That, never mind. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to justify this right now. We have fun here. We, no, we're not. We're not having fun. No, we're having a lot of fun. Um, it's like, I don't think the song is, is untouchable, so I'm not going to say that. But Has anyone ever claimed Bridge Over Troubled Water was untouchable? Because I think anything by Saruman and Garfunkel was probably the most touchable thing on the I, Well, I literally just said that they're taking Bob Dylan's job away yeah. and writing songs that are better covered by other people, which for the most part I think is true. This is one of the cases where I like the original so much. And this is also a song that has, you know, there's 30 million recordings of this song. Yeah. And I've heard it, you know, I've heard it in churches all over the place. And then there's, like, Christian contemporary covers of it that have written new verses and whatever, whatever. It's it's a so, song that is everywhere. I did not hate this version of it. I really didn't. It was totally fine. I think this song is a perfect example of he is a really good singer. He is not blowing my mind here. Yeah. This um, song vocally lacked a lot that I think even a lot of other covers I've heard have, have touched upon. Well, I don't know if you're agreeing with me yet, but uh, I'm ranking up from least favorite to favorite. So that's, oh, that's where I'm at. That's where okay. I'm at right now. I, um, I, did... I, did not, I did not rank them least favorite to favorite, but this... I'm so far. I'm not fully disagreeing with you, but like we're on uh, roughly the same page. Holy Diver, least favorite. Bridge over troubled water. I think was just kind of uninteresting to me. It was uninteresting to me. Milwaukee but again, Moon is. I'm putting a little above that, but still Milwaukee, not very interesting. Milwaukee Moon is me. a boring song, no matter what you do. Excellent. I, there, okay. there is no, there is no saving this. Okay. Like I would honestly think Milwaukee Moon might be the most boring because it's just not interesting ever. Okay, it so never you're has it, been. It you're never will it, be. You're putting it below Holy Diver. I'm putting it. I forgot he covered it. That's okay, where I'm excellent. putting it. Um, Milwaukee Moon is a totally unexciting song. No matter what you do, it was totally fine. I couldn't care less. It happened. I forgot it happened. I have literally no notes written because it is just not interesting. One more light. And we're it, going up your ranking here, so we're yeah. getting better, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's it's better. Um, it was it's probably the first one of the group that I would not stab someone who made me listen to it again. If they say, who cares if one more light goes out in the sky of a million stars? It flickers, flickers. Who cares when someone's time runs out? If a moment. It's all we are, we're quicker, quicker Who cares if one more light goes out Well, I do I really like his voice on this one I like I it, really, yeah he, He's kind of branching up into like a much softer head voice Which is not something I hear him do Like, oh, okay, so he's known as like a big baritone singer. He has a mm -hmm. pretty deep and pretty powerful voice, especially in a his lower register. So him, hearing him sing 
so consistently in like a slightly higher like softer register is really kind of nice this is a nice recording i don't know the song was i supposed to know this song I don't either. Like, I don't know what it is. Okay. There's, I, I kind of had that thought about this one and one of the other ones. It's like, I don't know what this is. Like, should um, I know this? I feel bad for not knowing this. And I didn't bother looking to see what the original was because I didn't <laughs> want to feel bad if it's, like, something I absolutely should know. During editing, I actually uh, checked out the original recording of One More Light, which it turns out is from the final Linkin Park album, which, um, one, made me incredibly depressed, and two, um happened long after I stopped really paying attention to what Linkin Park was doing um, and actually also kind of made me interested in what they did after Minutes to Midnight um, that's really it I just wanted to credit them at number two I have I want to know what love is um, okay. I actually kind of enjoyed this and this probably comes from my weird corny enjoyment of power ballads yeah yeah. I have a weird enjoyment of corny power ballads, and that's really important for everyone. Yeah, but I mean, th- I, I actually, this is a perfect example of this arrangement is cool enough that I can look past the gimmick. Yeah. I can get over the fact that he's dressed as a sad clown. This is just a really cool arrangement and a really cool take on you know, a really corny power ballad, which again, I, the original is totally fine for what it is. Oh yeah. This is a really cool take on it. And I actually did really enjoy it. You know, I think we do almost have like the same, uh, we have very close to the same order here. I think of, of, so, so is my favorite also your favorite? I'm guessing so. Still loving you slash nice and white satin. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. Oh, how I love you If we'd go again All the way from the start I would try to change the things that killed our love This was a brilliant arrangement. So this is literally, this is mixing two songs. This is mixing Still Loving You by the Scorpions with Nights in White Satin by the Moody Blues. And this isn't like, oh, we're going to do a verse from one, then a verse from the other. Each verse, they're intertwined so well. This sounds like, this sounds like this was the original song. Like this, like if I did not know either song, this sounds so coherent as a thing in and of itself. Oh, this was, this one was really, really good. That one was really, really good. Now you said you, you went back and, and, poked around in other songs that he's done um, did you find any that you liked well I mean I've so I mean be, because of my my love hate relationship I guess you could call it with him I think this is all going back to what we discussed uh, a while ago I made you watch a video on YouTube by a man named Adam Lee- Neely who did a video called like why do we hate the music we hate right. and his big theory is that I think in some cases you hate something that is so close to things you love but not quite there and that is I think a big part of why I really dislike Puddles get rid of you know because I can listen to this and get rid of the mental image of him being the sad clown which I don't hate that in and of itself but I want it to be part of I want it to be more like consistent with what he's doing 
some of the arrangements he's he's done are are really cool and really interesting. Sorry, I lost my train of thought here. That's okay. Um, but like, I mean, over the years, I've listened to a lot of the songs he's done. Some of them are really cool, interesting, fine arrangements. Some of them aren't really arrangements. Like his version of Wicked Game, originally by Chris Isaac, is a good recording of the song Wicked Game. It's another song that's been covered by three and a half million people, but his is a good recording of it. It's never the version that I go to when I want to listen to Wicked Game, though. Believe it or not, that would actually be Corey Taylor's acoustic version of it. It's phenomenal. Yeah, right? So good. There's a lot of things because I also I was I was looking through and I was seeing what he done and there were some where I was like oh god I real I didn't even listen to him because I don't need to hear another cover of Hurt I don't need to hear another no. cover of uh, uh, Creep I don't need to hear another cover of What a Wonderful World um, there were a couple that I thought were uh, interesting picks considering he's he seems to go for things that are kind of relevant. Um, and I I love me some Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. I wouldn't expect an American artist in an American you know venue to be doing. What did he do? Was it the ship I song? No, I have no idea. It's not a Which song. Is, I know. It was the ship song, and it's it's an okay version of a song that I think is incredible. Um, it's also a love song, so I'm not really sure why Puddles is doing it. I guess the second verse is kind of sad, but um, it was that was pretty good. Um, Desperados under the eaves was kind of an obscure choice for the mainstream, I would think, but still a good song. Uh, I'm also I'm always chasing rainbows. Um, not as good as the definitive Alice Cooper version, but not bad. <laughs> I mean, that's that's kind of how I feel at best about most of his covers. But there was one cover that stuck out to me. I, can I, hold on, can I guess what it is? Can I guess what it is? I don't think you will, but go for it. Uh, it's not his mashup of Come Sail Away with Let It Go? No. That's <laughs> no fun, because no. it's really dumb. <laughs> uh, anyway, but, what is it? But it is a song that I've made you listen to. Okay. And oh. it's a song by George Michael. Oh, and it's a hold song on. called Praying for Time. I was going to say, what's that song called? That's su- okay. I, I don't think I know his cover of that, actually. But I want you to listen to Praying for Time, because it's not marked as a mashup, and it is. It's a fucking mashup. Oh, okay. Uh, give me a because, moment. Because I listen to this, and I'm sitting here, I'm going, this guitar sounds so familiar. But it's not Praying for Time, because Praying for Time doesn't really have don't. a noticeable guitar part. Don't tell me what it is. I'm not going to tell you, but you'll, okay. it's it is by a band that you know, and I'm sure that you know the song, even if it's not one of your favorite songs by them. It is um, a song that I think is like one of the underrated gems of this band, and it is a okay. household name band. Oh, okay. So, so that's my hints for you. So do I need to listen quick, to the whole thing, or could I just like listen to a minute and just time, the time more, in whenever I'm done? The more, if you if you figure it out by the end, then let it out, but the more you listen to it, the more blatant it becomes what song this is to me. I didn't figure okay. it out until until like after the verses were over and he was doing the big, we'll call it like a crescendo at the end. Okay. This is the year of the hungry man whose place is in the past hand in hand with 
ignorance and legitimate excuses. The rich declare themselves poor, and most of us are not sure if we have too much. But we'll take our chances, 'cause God stopped keeping score. This is the goddamn rain song. As the goddamn rain song by Led Zeppelin. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love it. Okay, that's actually pretty. Like, that's see, that's a perfect example of like, oh, this is this is actually really cool. Yeah, I actually this really like that one. Really cool. I also did you did you see that he did one of uh of of um, it's a mashup of Pinball Wizard and and um, Folsom Prison. No. Yeah, he does. Uh, I think it's Seriously? like called like I think it's called like uh. Folsom Pinball Blues or something Oh, I'm like seeing that. Folsom Wizard. Okay, there you go. Folsom Wizard? Yeah. Okay, so I I let that, I just hit, I hit play. It played for two seconds, and I am immediately back to, this does not fit what I think your shtick is. What are you, no. what are you? No, Like, this is a perfect was... example of, like, this, I don't, I really do not mind the sad clown image if you do a thing that makes sense. This does not make sense. This is way too upbeat. Your, my brain hurts looking yeah. at the picture and listening to this music. Yeah. But I'm gonna I'm gonna give him some points for creativity on on combining rain song with praying for time and combining still loving you with nights in white satin. Still loving you with nights in white satin is brilliant. Yes. I love it. And there are so. Because I've been listening a decent bit just on Spotify, which is a perfect platform to not have to look, there have been a handful that I'm just like, wow, this is a really nice recording. Um, I don't think any of these are making me go, oh, this is the definitive recording of this song, but there are some really nice recordings. And there are some that I think totally make sense for his gimmick. Really, what I kind of wish is I wish he would have two projects. I, I wish. He does. Well, I think okay. So, so, so uh, let, me, let me rephrase that. He has multiple projects. The man has done. The man has been an active musician. I think since the early '90s, at least. Yeah. Um, I want, like, on here on Spotify, you look up Puddles Pity Party. I want to take these songs and I want some of them to just be songs by Mike Geyer. Uh huh. Or you know, g give a different name to yourself, like. He, he completely loses me because he has this sad clown persona of Puddles, the sad clown, and some of these songs totally fit this image, and I'm just like, yeah, I get it, I'm on board, this is gimmicky and weird, but I like it, and then he does some that I'm just like, this suddenly doesn't make sense, you are making my brain hurt, because you are breaking what I thought your whole shtick was supposed to be. Yeah, and I think I've even said a few times in here, like, why why is a sad clown doing this one? Which is literally my problem. He, you know, it, 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 again, he, I think, is very good. I do not think he is... He's not blowing my mind with being, like, the most phenomenal vocalist I've ever heard, although in which case I would assume he would probably drop the sad clown thing anyway, because I would hope that he would just be super well-known for being incredible. I think he does some really cool arrangements. 
I think he has some great people working with him to do cool arrangements. If he's not the one that does them, I do not know who does the arranging here. I, I, I don't understand what he is, though. Like, the only thing he's done that is fully cohesive to me is this newest album, this, uh, this Unhappy Hour at the Loners Club. Is the only thing that's just like, yes, I get it. This suddenly makes sense. I know what your shtick is. I know what you're doing. I want to go see you. Yeah, I like I like the new album. There's a couple singles along the way that I like. Um, I think I guess, in my... I guess I'm 50-50 for this year, for, for the singles he's released this year. I think I like three and I don't like three. Is that, Which, is that what we have? That's oh, something there, like that. That's not awful. You know what? I think, did he do... Oh, he did If I They're Can at, Dream this year, too. Yeah, I'll say there he also seven. did If I Can Dream. Okay. Um, I'm three for I'm three out of seven. I don't remember if I can if I can dream well enough to say that it was good. I don't either, even though I have it in my like playlist for week nine here. I'm looking at yeah. it going like I don't remember this. The the three that I thought were good are I Wanna Know What Love Is, Still Loving You, and Nights of Wine Satin and One More Light. Yeah, it's so. it's mm. I don't know. Mm. Puddles, I, I Puddles. will say this. I will say this, Puddles, you have you have won me over more than you did previously. Up until listening to this album, I had primarily negative thoughts. And now I will say, I am definitely gaining a big appreciation for you, which again, is kind of the whole point of this podcast, is learning to appreciate things. Listen to me, Puddles. If you stay sad, and never get happy, ever again, um, and and you keep not doing pop songs, then maybe, if we go again all the way from the start... I could try to change the things that killed our love. Are, are you really doing this? Do you not want me to? I, I just, I don't know what this, I don't, I don't know how to follow that. Do you not want to what? break out into a cover of Still Loving You by the Scorpions right now? Not really. <laughs> okay. Well, one of the things that, um, so, so we were talking a little bit about, um, oh, is there anything else you want to say about puddles? I just want to say puddles, puddles. Listen, listen to me, buddy. If if you ever, if you ever, if you become one of our four listeners, all right. If you become listener number five, okay. Listen, listen. Dream a little dream of me, mixed with I'll see you in my dreams. Okay, I want to hear it. I want to hear it from you, bud. It's gonna be great. Thank you. That's all I wanted. <laughs> 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 anyway, go on. What were you saying? Um, so we're we're talking about doing this this thing where we're uh, like generalizing a band's discography. Yeah. And this did make me think. Not that I want to dictate what you should do with your weeks. Okay. But I want a week on the Scorpions. Oh, you have no idea how how game I am for that though. <laughs> I, I mean, I even sent you a message like, like that. That was like that. Like, I I don't want to dictate what you're gonna do, but I think you're gonna be game for the idea that. But I like, but like, I but, I am all on board with discussing the changes the Scorpions have made over their career because God knows they are one of the bands that I own their entire discography. Uh huh. Yeah. No, I knew. That like, they would I, be one I'm of the on bands board. That, They're yeah, up there. I, They're up there. I want I want you to inform me more on the Scorpions because I mostly know Blackout. Oh, that's a shame. 
So, like, okay, oh, yeah, you really don't know their early stuff, I'm assuming, then. No, I mean, okay, I, I've, I've listened to Best Ofs, and I know, like, Off Tracks, but, like, okay. the album, the album that, I, that I own on vinyl and have listened to the most front-to-back is Blackout. So, you, because you've listened to Best Ofs, you probably very genuinely do not know their early stuff. No. Okay, you're, you're gonna be in for a treat, because they were interesting before they kind of went, like pre-hair metal on us which okay. is why I got into them like I'm super into the hair metal thing but like they were definitely not that at first um it looks like the ending got kind of botched here but that's fine I can handle saying both we're done and oh thank god in post